0: Book the second chapter two of Armadale This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Valley Armadale by Wilkie Collins Book the second, Chapter Two. Allan as a landed gentleman. Early on the morning after his first night's rest at Thorpe Ambrose, Allan rose and surveyed the prospect from his bedroom window, lost in the dense mental bewilderment of feeling himself to be a stranger in his own house. The bedroom looked out over the great frondo, with its portico. Its terrace and flight of steps beyond, and further still the broad sweep of the well timbered park to close the view. The morning mist nestled lightly about the distant trees, and the cows were feeding sociably close to the iron fence which railed off the park from the drive in front of the house. All mine! thought Allan, staring in blank amazement at the prospect of his own possessions. Hang me if I can beat it into my head yet. All mine. He dressed, left his room, and walked down the corridor, which led to the staircase and hall, opening the doors in succession as he passed them. The rooms in this part of the house were bedrooms and dressing rooms, light, spacious, perfectly furnished, and all empty except the one bed-chamber next to Allan's, which had been appropriated to midwinter. He was still sleeping when his friend looked in on him, having sat late into the night writing his letter to Mr. Brock. Allan went on to the end of the first corridor, turned at right angles into a second, and that passed, gained the head of the great staircase no romance here he said to himself looking down the handsomely carpeted stone stairs into the bright modern hall nothing to startle midwinter's fidgety nerves in this house there was nothing indeed allan's essentially superficial observation had not misled him for once The mansion of Thorpe Ambrose, built after the pulling down of the dilapidated old manor house, was barely fifty years old. Nothing picturesque, nothing in the slightest degree suggestive of mystery and romance, appeared in any part of it. It was a purely conventional country house, the product of the classical idea filtered judiciously through the commercial English mind. Viewed on the outer side, it presented a spectacle of a modern manufactory trying to look like an ancient temple. Viewed on the inner side, it was a marvel of luxurious comfort in every part of it, from basement to roof. And quite right, too, thought Allan, sauntering contentedly down the broad, gently graduated stairs. These take all mystery and romance! Let's be clean and comfortable, that's what I say. Arrived in the hall, the new master of Thorpe Ambrose hesitated and looked about him, uncertain which way to turn next. The four reception rooms on the ground floor opened into the hall, two on either side. Allan tried the nearest door on his right hand at a venture and found himself in the drawing-room here the first sign of life appeared under life's most attractive form a young girl was in solitary possession of the drawing-room the duster in her hand appeared to associate her with the domestic duties of the house but at that particular moment she was occupied in asserting the rights of nature over the obligations of service In other words, she was attentively contemplating her own face in the glass over the mantelpiece. There, there, don't let me frighten you, said Alan, as the girl started away from the glass and stared at him in unutterable confusion. I quite agree with you, my dear. Your face is well worth looking at. Who are you? Oh, the housemaid. And what's your name? Susan, eh? Come, I like your name to begin with. Do you know who I am, Susan? I'm your master, though you may not think it. Your character? Oh yes, Mrs. Blanchard gave you a capital character. You shall stop here. Don't be afraid. And you'll be a good girl, Susan. And wear smart little caps and aprons and bright ribbons, and you'll look nice and pretty. And dust the furniture, won't you? With this summary of the housemaid's duties, Allan sauntered back into the hall and found more signs of life in that quarter. A man servant appeared on this occasion and bowed, as became a vassal in a linen jacket, before his liege lord in a wide awake hat and who may you be asked alan not the man who let us in last night ah i thought not the second footman eh character oh yes capital character stop here of course you can valet me can you bother valeting me i like to put on my own clothes and brush them too when they are on and if i only knew how to black my own boots by george i should like to do it what room's this? Morning room, eh? And here's the dining room, of course. Good heavens, what a table. It's as long as my yacht, And longer. I say, by the by, what's your name? Richard, is it? Well, Richard, the vessel I sail in is a vessel of my own building. What do you think of that? me just the right sort of man to be my steward on board if you are not sick at sea oh you are sick at sea well then we'll say nothing more about it and what room is this ah yes the library of course more in mr midwinter's way than mine mr midwinter is the gentleman who came here with me last night and mind is richard You're all to show him as much attention as you show me Where are we now? What's this door at the back? Will a room and smoking room eh? Jolly another door and more stairs Where do they go to? And who's this coming up? Take your time, ma'am, you're not quite so young as you were once. Take your time. The object of Allan's humane caution was a corpulent elderly lady of the type called motherly. Fourteen stairs were all that separated her from the master of the house. She ascended them with fourteen stoppages and fourteen sighs. Nature, various in all things, is infinitely various in the female sex. There are some women whose personal qualities reveal the lapse in the graces. And there are the women whose personal qualities suggest the perquisites and the grease pot. This was one of the other women. Glad to see you looking so well, ma'am, said Allan, when the cook, in the majesty of her office, stood proclaimed before him. Your name is Grippa, is it? I consider you, Mrs. Agrippa, the most valuable person in the house. For this reason, that nobody in the house eats a heartier dinner every day than I do. Directions? Oh, no, I have no directions to give. I leave all that to you. Lots of strong soup and joints done with the gravy in them-that's my notion of good feeding, in two words. Steady, here's somebody else. Oh, to be sure, the butler. Another valuable person. We'll go right through all the wine in the cellar, Mr. Butler, and if I can't give you a sound opinion after that, we'll persevere boldly and go right through it again. Talking of wine, Hello, here are more of them coming upstairs. There, there, don't trouble yourselves. You have all got capital characters, and you shall all stop here along with me what was i saying just now something about wine so it was i'll tell you what mr butler it isn't every day that a new master comes to Thorpe Ambrose, and it's my wish that we should all start together on the best possible terms let the servants have a grand jollification downstairs to celebrate my arrival and give them what they like to drink my health in It's a poor heart, Mrs. Gripper, that never rejoices, isn't it? No, I won't look at the cellar now. I want to go out and get a breath of fresh air before breakfast. Where's Richard? I say, have I got a garden here? Which side of the house is it? That side, eh? You needn't show me round. I'll go alone, Richard, and lose myself if I can in my own property. With those words, Alan descended the terrace steps in front of the house, whistling cheerfully. He had met the serious responsibility of settling his domestic establishment to his own entire satisfaction. People talk of the difficulty of managing their servants. Thought Alan. what on earth do they mean? I don't see any difficulty at all. He opened an ornamental gate leading out of the drive at the side of the house and following the footman's directions entered the shrubbery that sheltered the top ambrose gardens nice shady sort of place for a cigar said alan as he sauntered along with his hands in his pockets i wish i could beat it into my head that it really belongs to me the shrubbery opened on the broad expanse of a flower garden Fluttered bright in its summer glory by the light of the morning sun. On one side, an archway broken through a wall led into the fruit garden, on the other, a terrace of turf led to ground on a lower level, laid down as an Italian garden. Wandering past the fountains and statues, Allan reached another shrubbery, winding its way apparently to some remote part of the grounds thus far not a human creature had been visible or audible anywhere but as he approached the end of the second shrubbery it struck him that he heard something on the other side of the foliage he stopped and listened there were two voices speaking distinctly an old voice that sounded very obstinate and a young voice that sounded very angry it's no use miss said the old voice i mustn't allow it and i won't allow it what would mr armadale say if mr armadale is the gentleman i take him for you old brute replied the young voice he would say come into my garden miss milroy as often as you like and take as many nosegays as you please Alan's bright blue eyes twinkled mischievously. Inspired by a sudden idea, he stole softly to the end of the shrubbery, darted round the corner of it, and, vaulting over a low ring fence, found himself in a trim little paddock, crossed by a gravel walk. At a short distance down the wall stood a young lady with her back toward him trying to force her way past an impenetrable old man with a rake in his hand, who stood obstinately in front of her, shaking his head. "'Come into my garden, Miss Milroy, as often as you like, and take as many nosegays as you please,' cried Alan, remorselessly repeating her own words. The young lady turned round with a scream her muslin dress which she was holding up in front dropped from her hand and a prodigious lapful of flowers rolled out on the gravel walk before another word could be said the impenetrable old man stepped forward with the utmost composure and entered on the question of his own personal interests as if nothing whatever had happened and nobody was present but his new master and himself i bid you humbly welcome to thorpe ambrose sir said this ancient of the gardens my name is abraham sage I have been employed in the grounds for more than forty years and i hope you'll be pleased to continue me in my place so with the vision inexorably limited to the horizon of his own prospects spoke the gardener and spoke in vain was down on his knees on the gravel walk collecting the fallen flowers and forming his first impressions of miss milroy from the feet upward she was pretty she was not pretty she charmed she disappointed she charmed again tried by recognized line and rule she was too short and too well-developed for her age, and yet few men's eyes could have wished her figure other than it was. Her hands were so prettily plump and dimpled that it was hard to see how red they were, with the blessed exuberance of youth and health. Her feet apologized gracefully for her old and ill-fitting shoes. And her shoulders made ample amends for the misdemeanour in muslin which covered them in the shape of her dress. Her dark grey eyes were lovely in their clear softness of colour, in their spirit, tenderness, and sweet good humour of expression, and her hair, where a shabby old garden hat allowed it to be seen, was of just that lightest shade of brown. Which gave value by contrast to the darker beauty of her eyes, but these attractions passed the little attendant blemishes and imperfections of this self-contradictory girl began again. Her nose was too short, her mouth was too large, her face was too round and too rosy. The dreadful justice of photography would have had no mercy on her and the sculptures of classical greece would have bowed her regretfully out of their studios admitting all this and more the girdle round miss milroy's waist was the girdle of venus nevertheless and the passkey that opens the general heart was the key she carried if ever a girl possessed it yet before alan had picked up his second handful of flowers Allan was in love with her don't pray don't miss Armadale," she said receiving the flowers under protest as alan vigorously showered them back into the lap of her dress i'm so ashamed i didn't mean to invite myself in that bold way into your garden my tongue ran away with me it did indeed what can i say to excuse myself oh mr armadale what must you think of me allan suddenly saw his way to a compliment and tossed it up to her forthwith with the third handful of flowers i can tell you what i think miss milroy he said in his blunt boyish way i think the luckiest walk i ever took in my life was the walk this morning that brought me here He looked eager and handsome. He was not addressing a woman worn out with admiration, but a girl just beginning a woman's life, and it did him no harm at any rate to speak in the character of Master of Thorpe Ambrose. The penitential expression on Miss Milroy's face gently melted away. She looked down, demure and smiling, at the flowers in her lap i deserve a good scolding she said i don't deserve compliments mr armadale least to fall from you oh yes you do cried the headlong Allan, getting briskly on his legs besides it isn't a compliment it's true you're the prettiest i beg your pardon miss milroy my tongue ran away with me that time Among the heavy burdens that are laid on female human nature, perhaps the heaviest at the age of sixteen, is the burden of gravity. Miss Milroy struggled, deterred, struggled again, and composed herself for the time being. The gardener, who still stood where he had stood from the first, immovably waiting for his next opportunity, saw it now and gently pushed his personal interests into the first gap of silence that had opened within his reach since Allan's appearance on the scene. I humbly bid you welcome to Thorpe Ambrose, sir, said Abraham Sage, beginning obstinately with his little introductory speech for the second time. My name before he could deliver himself of his name miss milroy looked accidentally in the horticulturist's pertinacious face and instantly lost her hold on her gravity beyond recall alan never backward in following a boisterous example of any sort joined in her laughter with right goodwill the wise man of the gardens showed no surprise and took no offence He waited for another gap of silence and walked in again gently with his personal interests the moment the two young people stopped to take breath. I have been employed in the grounds, proceeded Abraham Sage irrepressibly, for more than forty years. You shall be employed in the grounds for forty more, if you'll only hold your tongue and take yourself off cried alan as soon as he could speak thank you kindly sir said the gardener with utmost politeness but with no present signs either of holding his tongue or of taking himself off well said alan abraham sage carefully cleared his throat and shifted his rake from one hand to the other he looked down the length of his own invaluable implement with a grave interest and attention seeing apparently not the long handle of a rake but the long perspective of a vista with a supplementary personal interest established at the end of it when more no convenient sir resumed this immovable man i should wish respectfully to speak to you about my son Perhaps it may be more convenient in the course of the day. My humble duty, sir, and my best thanks. My son is strictly sober, he is accustomed to the stables, and he belongs to the Church of England without incumbrances. Having thus planted his offspring provisionally in his master's estimation, Abraham Sage shouldered his invaluable rake and hobbled slowly out of view if that's a specimen of a trustworthy old servant said alan i think i'd rather take my chance of being cheated by a new one you shall not be troubled with him again miss milroy at any rate all the flower-beds in the garden are at your disposal and all the fruit in the fruit season if you'll only come here and eat it oh mr armadale how very very kind you are how can i thank you allan saw his way to another compliment an elaborate compliment in the shape of a trap this time you can do me the greatest possible favor he said you can assist me in forming an agreeable impression of my own grounds dear me how asked miss Milroy innocently alan judiciously closed the trap on the spot in these words "While taking me with you miss milroy on your morning walk he spoke smiled and offered his arm she saw the way on her side to a little flirtation she rested her hand on his arm blushed hesitated and suddenly took it away again I don't think it's quite right, Miss Armadale," she said, devoting herself with the deepest attention to her collection of flowers. Ought not we to have some old lady here? Isn't it improper to take your arm until I know you a little better than I do now? I'm obliged to ask. I have had so little instruction. I have seen so little of society. And one of Papa's friends once said, my manners were too bold for my age. What do you think? I think it's a very good thing your papa's friend is not here now, answered the outspoken Allen. I should quarrel with him to a dead certainty. As for society, Miss Milroy, nobody knows less about it than I do. What if we had an old lady here? I must see myself. I think she would be uncommonly in the way, won't you? concluded Allan, imploringly offering his arm for the second time. Do. Miss Milroy looked up at him sidelong from her flask. You're as bad as the gardener, Mr. Armadale. She looked down again in a flutter of indecision. I'm sure it's wrong, she said, and took his arm the instant afterward without the slightest hesitation they moved away together over the daisy turf of the paddock young and bright and happy with the sunlight of the summer morning shining cloudless over their flowery path and where are we going to now asked alan into another garden she laughed gaily how very odd of you, Mr. Armadale, not to know when it all belongs to you. Are you really seeing Thorpe Ambrose this morning for the first time? How indescribably strange it must feel. No, no, don't say any more complimentary things to me just yet. You may turn my head if you do. We haven't got the old lady with us, and I really must take care of myself let me be useful let me tell you all about your own grounds we are going out at that little gate across one of the drives in the park then over the rustic bridge and then round the corner of the plantation where do you think to where i live mr Armadale, to the lovely little cottage that you have led to papa Oh, if you only knew how lucky we thought ourselves to get it. She paused, looked up at her companion, and stopped another compliment on the incorrigible Alan's lips. I'll drop your arm, she said courtishly. If you do, we were lucky to get the cottage, Mr. Armadale. Papa said he felt under an obligation to you for letting it the day we got in. And I said I felt under an obligation, no longer than last week. You, Miss Milroy," exclaimed alan "Yes, it may surprise you to hear it, but if you hadn't let the cottage to Papa, I believe I should have suffered the indignity and misery of being sent to school." Allan's memory reverted to the half crown that he had spun on the cabin table of the edge at Castletown. town if she only knew that i had tossed up for it he thought guiltily i dare say you don't understand why i should feel such a horror of going to school pursued miss milroy misinterpreting the momentary silence on her companion's side if i had gone to school in early life I mean, at the age when other girls go, I shouldn't have minded it now. But I had no such chance at the time. It was the time of mamma's illness and of Papa's unfortunate speculation. And, as Papa had nobody to comfort him but me, of course I stayed at home. You needn't laugh. I was of some use, I can tell you. I helped Papa over his trouble by sitting on his knee after dinner and asking him to tell me stories of all the remarkable people he had known when he was about in the great world, at home and abroad, without me to amuse him in the evening and his clock to occupy him in the daytime. His clock? repeated Alan. Oh yes, I ought to have told you papa is an extraordinary mechanical genius you will say so too then you see his clock it's nothing like so large of course but it's on the model of the famous clock at strasburg only think he began it when i was eight years old and though i was sixteen last birthday it isn't finished yet some of our friends were quite surprised he should take to such a thing when his troubles began but papa himself said that right in no time he reminded them that louis the sixteenth took to lock-making when his troubles began and then everybody was perfectly satisfied she stopped and changed colour confusedly oh miss Armadale," she said in genuine embarrassment this time here is my unlucky tongue running away with me again I'm talking to you already, as if I had known you for years. This is what Papa's friend meant when he said my manners were too bold. It's quite true. I have a dreadful way of getting familiar with people. If she checked herself suddenly on the brink of ending the sentence by saying, "If I like them," no, no, do go on, pleaded Allan. It's a fault of mine to be familiar, too. Besides, we must be familiar. We are such near neighbors. I'm rather an uncultivated sort of fellow, and I don't know quite how to say it. But I want your cottage to be jolly and friendly with my house, and my house to be jolly and friendly with your cottage. There's my meaning all in the wrong words. Do go on, Miss Milroy. Pray go on. She smiled and hesitated. I don't exactly remember where I was, she replied. I only remember I had something I wanted to tell you. This comes, Mr. Armadale, of my taking your arm. I should get on so much better, if you would only consent to walk separately. You won't? Well then, will you tell me what it was I wanted to say? Where was I before I went wandering off to Papa's troubles and Papa's clock? At school, replied Allan, with a prodigious effort of memory. Not at school, you mean, said Miss Milroy, and all through you. Now I can go on again, which is a great comfort. I am quite serious, Mr. Armadale, in saying that I should have been sent to school, if you had said no when Papa proposed for the cottage. This is how it happened. When we began moving in, Mrs. Blanchard sent us a most kind message from the great house to say that her servants were at our disposal, if we wanted any assistance. The least papa and I could do after that was to call and thank her. We saw Mrs. Blanchard and Miss Blanchard. Mistress was charming, and Miss looked perfectly lovely in her morning. I'm sure you admire her she is tall and pale and graceful quite your idea of beauty i should think nothing like it began allan my idea of beauty at the present moment miss milroy felt it coming and instantly took her hand off his arm i mean i have never seen either mrs blanchard or her niece added allan precipitately correcting himself Miss Milroy tempered justice with mercy and put her hand back again. How extraordinary that you should never have seen them, she went on. Why, you're a perfect stranger to everything and everybody at Thorpe Ambrose. Well, after Miss Blanchard and I had sat and talked a little while, I heard my name on Mrs. Blanchard's lips and instantly held my breath. She was asking Papa if I had finished my education. Out came Papa's great grievance directly. My old governess, you must know, left us to be married just before we came here, and none of her friends could produce a new one whose terms were reasonable. I'm told, Mrs. Blanchard, by people who understand it better than I do, says Papa, that advertising is a risk. It all falls on me in mrs milroy's state of health and i suppose i must end in sending my little girl to school do you happen to know of a school within the means of a poor man mrs blanchard shook her head and i could have kissed her on the spot for doing it all my experience major milroy says this perfect angel of a woman is in favor of advertising my niece's governess was originally obtained by an advertisement and you may imagine her value to us when i tell you she lived in a family for more than ten years i could have gone down on both my knees and worshipped mrs blanchard then and there and i only wonder i didn't papa was struck at the time i could see that and he referred to it again on the way home though i have been long out of the world my dear says papa I know a highly bred woman and a sensible woman when I see her. Mrs. Blanchard's experience puts advertising in a new light. I must think about it. He has thought about it and though he hasn't openly confessed it to me, I know that he decided to advertise no later than last night. So, if Papa thanks you for letting the cottage, Mr. Amadale, I thank you too, but for you... They should never have known darling Mrs. Blanchard, and but for darling Mrs. Blanchard, I should have been sent to school. Before Alan could reply, they turned the corner of the plantation and came in sight of the cottage. Description of it is needless. The civilized universe knows it already. It was the typical cottage of the drawing master's early lessons in neat shading and the broad pencil touch with the trim thatch the luxuriant creepers the modest lattice windows the rustic porch and the wicker birdcage all complete isn't it lovely said miss milroy do come in may i asked allan won't the major think it too early early or late i'm sure papa will be only too glad to see you she led the way briskly up the garden path and opened the parlour door as Allan followed her into the little room. He saw at the further end of it a gentleman sitting alone at an old-fashioned writing-table with his back turned to his visitor. Papa's surprise for you, said Miss Milroy, rousing him from his occupation. Mr. Armadale has come to Thorpe Ambrose. And I have brought him here to see you. The major started, rose, bewildered for the moment, recovered himself immediately, and advanced to welcome his young landlord with hospitable outstretched hand. A man with a larger experience of the world and a finer observation of humanity than Allen possessed would have seen the story of Major Milroy's life written in Major Milroy's face. The home troubles that had struck him were plainly betrayed in his stooping figure and his wan, deeply wrinkled cheeks when he first showed himself on rising from his chair. The changeless influence of one monotonous pursuit and one monotonous habit of thought were next expressed in the dull, dreamy self-absorption of his manner and his look, while his daughter was speaking to him the moment after when he had roused himself to welcome his guest was the moment which made the self-revelation complete then there flickered in the major's weary eyes a faint reflection of the spirit of his happier youth then there passed over the major's dull and dreamy manner a change which told unmistakably of social graces and accomplishments, learned at some past time in no ignoble social school, a man who had long since taken his patient refuge from trouble in his own mechanical pursuit, a man only roused at intervals to know himself again for what he once had been. So revealed to all eyes that could read him aright. Major Milroy now stood before Allen on the first morning of an acquaintance which was destined to be an event in Allan's life. I am heartily glad to see you, Mr. Armadale, he said, speaking in the changeless, quiet, subdued tone peculiar to most men whose occupations are of the solitary and monotonous kind. You have done me one favour already by taking me as your tenant and you now do me another by paying this friendly visit if you have not breakfasted already let me waive all ceremony on my side and ask you to take your place at our little table with the greatest pleasure major milroy if i am not in the way replied allan delighted at his reception i was sorry to hear from miss milroy that mrs milroy is an invalid perhaps my being here unexpectedly perhaps the sight of a strange face i understand your hesitation mr Armadale," said the major but it's quite unnecessary mrs milroy's illness keeps her entirely confined to her own room have you got everything we want on the table my love he went on changing the subject so abruptly that a closer observer than Allan might have suspected it was distasteful to him will you come and make tea miss milroy's attention appeared to be already pre-engaged she made no reply while her father and Allan had been exchanging civilities she had been putting the writing-table in order and examining the various objects scattered on it with the unrestrained curiosity of a spoiled child the moment after the major had spoken to her she discovered a morsel of paper hidden between the leaves of the blotting book snatched it up looked at it and turned round instantly with an exclamation of surprise do my eyes deceive me papa she asked or were you really and truly writing the advertisement when i came in I had just finished it, replied her father, but my dear Mr. Armadale is here. We are waiting for breakfast. Mr. Armadale knows all about it, rejoined Miss Milroy. I told him in the garden. Oh, yes, said Allan. pray don't make a stranger of me, Major, if it's about the governess. I've got something in an indirect sort of way to do with it, too major milroy smiled before he could answer his daughter who had been reading the advertisement appealed to him eagerly for the second time oh papa she said there's one thing here i don't like at all why do you put grandmama's initials at the end why do you tell them to write to grandmama's house in london my dear your mother can do nothing in this matter as you know and as for me even if I went to London, questioning strange ladies about their characters and accomplishments is the last thing in the world that I am fit to do. Your grandmamma is on the spot, and your grandmamma is the proper person to receive the letters and to make all the necessary inquiries. But I want to see the letters myself, persisted the spoiled child. Some of them are sure to be amusing. i don't apologize for this very unceremonious reception of you mr Armadale," said the major turning to allan with a quaint and quiet humor it may be useful as a warning if you ever chance to marry and have a daughter not to begin as i have done by letting her have her own way allan laughed and miss milroy persisted besides she went on I should like to help in choosing which letters we answer and which we don't. I think I ought to have some voice in the selection of my own governess. Why not tell them, Papa? to send their letters down here to the post office or the stationers or anywhere you like. When you and I have read them, we can send out the letters we prefer to Grandmamma, and she can ask all the questions and pick out the best governess just as you have arranged already, without leaving me entirely in the dark, which I consider, don't you, Mr. Armadale, to be quite inhuman. Let me alter the address, Papa. Do, there's a darling. We shall get no breakfast, Mr. Armadale, if I don't say yes, said the major good-humouredly. Do as you like, my dear," he added, turning to his daughter. "As long as it ends in your grandmamma's managing the matter for us, the rest is of very little consequence." Miss Milroy took up her father's pen, drew it through the last line of the advertisement, and wrote the altered address with her own hand as follows: "Apply by letter to M. Post Office, Pope Ambrose, Norfolk. There, she said, bustling to her place at the breakfast table, the advertisement may go to London now, and if a governess does come of it-oh, papa, who in the name of wonder will she be? Tear coffee, Mr. Armadale, I'm really ashamed of having kept you waiting, but it is such a comfort, she added saucily, to get all one's business off one's mind before breakfast. Father, daughter, and guest sat down together sociably at the little round table, the best of good neighbours and good friends already. Three days later, one of the London newsboys got his business off his mind before breakfast. His district was Diana Street, Pimlico, and the last of the morning's newspapers which he disposed of was the newspaper he left. At Mrs. Oldershaw's Door End of Book the Second Chapter Two